So I suspect if you asked most people, what is church? They would tell you that it is a building. And if you asked a child to draw you a picture of a church, they would draw you a building. If you ask Google to find you a church, they will direct you to a building. Unless your road name has recently changed, then they will direct you to a fire hydrant. And they will label it Town Hall. It's just over there. It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter what Google labels our fire hydrant, because church is not a building. It is a body. And our passage today, Acts chapter 2, describes these four very simple, ordinary, plain things, basic things, really, that the early church did and was devoted to. Let's, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Four basic things that make a church. Number one, the apostles' teaching. So for them, the apostles, these are people who were directly commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. They were still alive, and so the apostles' teaching was was spoken to them. For us, of course, it is written down. It means to us the Bible. And in particular, it means the central message of the Bible, which is the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a basic thing. It's a powerful thing. And if the gospel is not taught, then you are not a church. If the gospel is not proclaimed, you might well have a building, but you do not have a church. And at this time of year, we have this wonderful opportunity to to see what it would look like to try and run a church service without the gospel. I say that because all around these United States, last week, this week, we have all of these graduation ceremonies at various schools and universities. And if you look at one of those services, what you are seeing is a kind of parody of church, where we come in and we sit and we stand and we sing and we shake hands and then comes a speech. And these speeches are all the same. Pro forma. Well done you. You've all worked very hard. Well done us, really, because we paid for it. But now the real work begins, and you're going to have to work even harder still, and you're on your own now. So if you fail, don't blame us. And if the stress starts to get you down, look for something inside of yourself. Or look for for something in nature. Sit under a tree, look at a star, walk barefoot in the grass. Calm down and you'll be okay. And, um, you know, well done. Amen. That's it. You're just going to have thousands of those speeches going off all around America right now as people scratch their heads and try and pull something um, inspirational out of the air. Every other religion, every other philosophy, every secular idea or humanistic kind of vision of what life is all about will preach a version of this thing. Fundamentally, you're okay. And all you need to do is this one extra little thing, which, by the way, we are selling, and then you can be a better you. But Scripture says to us, you're not okay, which is why sometimes you don't feel okay. And therefore, God has stepped into this world in human form for the purposes of reconciling you to himself entirely by grace. That is 
our message. That is the gospel. The singer, Marcus Mumford, whose parents run uh, an entire denomination in the UK, in his song, Roll Away Your Stone, he sings these words. It seems that all my bridges have been burned, but you say, and I think the you is, is maybe his parents as he recalls these conversations, you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with the restart. So if all your bridges have been burned, you've goofed up too many times, you've annoyed too many people, God can show you grace. And if this long walk back, this human effort of improving yourself or even indeed saving yourself has just left you worn out and, and still in the wilderness, welcome home, says Jesus Christ. The gospel is all about a restart. That's what the gospel is. In fact, the gospel is such good news that you can have as many restarts as you want. Loads of them. We don't just do a confession at conversion and then we're done. We confess every week. We confess every day. We restart every day. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no graduation from church. But if you take away the gospel, then you take away the church. We've got nothing. We're just the same as everyone else. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second thing that characterized the early church was the fellowship. It's a far, far more intense idea, fellowship, far more intense than friendship, for example. So we have all sorts of friends, don't we? And uh, we, we cannot possibly relate deeply to, to everyone that we know. And with the advent of, of Facebook, the average American now has over 300 Facebook friends. And uh, I receive requests from people I don't even know. Received one recently from a lady called Pretty Janet. And Pretty Janet wants to become my friend. She has something for me, she says. Isn't that wonderful? Someone pretty wants to, wants to befriend me. The, uh, the, the word fellowship is much more powerful than this notion of, uh, of friend. It's uh, koinonia in, in Greek, and, and the Bens are laughing because we had an argument about how it's pronounced. And I cited a preeminent scholar who it turns out was wrong. And uh, <laughs> the Bens are right, and the American inflection lends itself more accurately to the original Greek. And yeah, I'll eat some crow. You're right, boys. Koinonia? Yeah, it's so different from what I learned, but you're right. Uh, we, can, we can say that. It's, uh, it's the Greek word. It's uh, an intimate um, community. Uh, age check. There's a hint of the word intercourse in, the, in this word, uh, koinonia. And uh, it is, in fact, the first thing you're going to find on our church website, that we are a community church preaching the gospel. It's from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is the first thing that you're going to see uh, when, you, when you go to our church website because there's no other kind of church than one that has community and preaches the gospel. Third thing they did, breaking of the bread. Every single time. Loads of it. Jesus commands it. Paul adds that the bread and the cup proclaim. That's a, a preaching word. Caruso. Proclaim. 
uh, explain a thing in a very uh, inviting way. They proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this meal that we participate in every single week as we gather, it calls us to a place at the Lord's table. And it, it, the, the intimacy of this Lord's Supper assures us of, of, of his love and his grace. We don't just come to church for a lecture to, to hear about Jesus, but we come to meet Jesus himself in the bread and in the wine. And uh, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians to, to say that... Uh, if you receive Holy Communion in an unworthy manner, it can be dangerous. And so if you survive this meal, there's an encouragement that Jesus loves you. Fourth thing, the prayers. And I want you to note the the, the prayers. Many scholars believe that the the, the, the article, implies that these were specific prayers, or they were known prayers, they were learned prayers, or at the very least, some sort of formal structure that was predictable and, and followable and, and, and familiar to them, so that they could say these things and join in with these things together. So what we have here, these four marks of the early church, is Bible reading, fellowship, communion, and liturgy. What that's telling us is that the early church we're Anglicans. Now, I'm half joking, um, but, but I am actually struck by just how familiar this is. I mean, we're looking at a church that's um, a week old and in the book of Acts, and you know, it starts at Pentecost, a, a minute old, and, and yet it really, really looks like ours, and obviously ours is modeled on theirs. But, but we ought to be struck by just how familiar this is, how simple this is, how ordinary this is, how basic this is. We've got Bible reading, we've got fellowship, we've got communion, we've got some liturgy. It's really, really simple. And this is, this is the church in Acts. Right? This is the, this is, read the book. This is the church of miracles. This is the wildest, most radical church you will ever see. The, the first sermon series we did when I started in this church was called Radical Acts, and we just looked at all of the different things that this, this church was doing. And, and all, all that started it was these things that we do. But then in verse 42, we're still in verse 42, it says, here's something that set them apart. The things they were doing might well have been simple, ordinary, basic things, these four marks of the church, but they devoted themselves to them. Devotion is a powerful thing. To be devoted, it means to persevere and be diligent. It means to support without giving up. It means to serve, attend, give of oneself, wait upon, and remain steadfast when times are hard. Now look at the wonders that occurred as a result of intense devotion to four basic things. Four signs or four wonders, four miracles even, that flow from one devotion to four basic things. Verse 43. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In the book of Acts, it goes on to tell us what these signs, these wonders, these miracles were. That the blind were healed, but the evil were blinded, and the dead were raised, but the wicked were killed. 
It's a sort of fast forward to Judgment Day that we see in the book of Acts, where, where people who are suffering suddenly are granted a restart, and people who are causing it are suddenly blasted away into hell. It's a sort of fast forward moment. And not surprisingly, as blind people started to see and bad people started to go blind, awe came upon people. There's just a, a hint there that actually people became a bit afraid of that church. Imagine if every time someone messed with us, you know, they went blind or croaked. That would get some attention, wouldn't it? Not allowed Christchurch Lane. Pow! Imagine that. I mean, it would be pretty spectacular. This is why I'm not God. I'd be using that blasting thing all the time. It'd be really fun. He's so gracious. Second wonder. They became generous. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had any need. Now, don't write me a letter. It's not communism. It's not a five-year plan. It's not collectivization. It's not the abolition of private property. Because verse 46 said they still had homes to meet in. But there was radical generosity. And it became unthinkable for this church, complete anathema for them to hoard piles of excess personal wealth while others that they loved went without. It just became impossible. And I just I want you to imagine with me now what would happen if we did this. I asked Nikki, finance manager, to do an exercise. I said, can you just calculate, please, from, from our demographics and church size, giving records and private information that you have, very roughly for me, what our annual church surplus might look like if the members of this church gave just the biblical minimum. So, so not Acts 2.44 generosity, not selling all their stuff, not selling all the excess stuff, but just a biblical minimum of 10% or a tithe, which is mandated before the law, under the law, commended by Jesus Christ and amplified by the Apostle Paul as a basic starting point. What would it look like if our church was biblically obedient to the bare basics and not even generous? And Nikki said that we would have spare every single year more than $2 million just sitting around. We only need 13000 to fix a chimney. After that, it's just all spare. What would we do with it? Just imagine if every single year, and this isn't generosity, this is basic obedience. Just imagine if every year we gave $2 million away. I mean, that would make international news. Because when a church does about 50,000, people take note, it's so completely alien. uh, By the way, we might well be giving some of that $2 million away to ourselves. We might well be giving some of that to fellow members, people with whom we have koinonia. Because some of us have got debt. We don't need that. We've got two million spare. Some of us uh, might need a medical treatment that we've been putting off because we can't afford the bills. doesn't matter. We've got two million spare. Some of us might have a problem that we cannot fix without with our house or something like that. You know, the roof is damaged. The AC has gone out. Uh, some of us might not even own a home. And God might be calling you here into this church to be given a house. Third, the church came in 
to go out. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, so there's that coming in, and breaking the bread in their homes, they went out. There's communion in their homes. Many people have never been inside of a Christian home. They've just never been invited into one. They don't know any Christians other than you, and they've never been inside of a Christian home. And the minute they enter one, they notice how different it is. People come in all the time, they say, your house is different. Well, that's the Holy Spirit that they're sensing. It's this layer upon layer of peace that they're experiencing. They're they're meeting a wall of the power of the Holy Spirit when they enter through the door, and they're not used to living with that. And without expecting it, what they've done is they've been inside of a church. Whenever they come into your home, which leads us to the fourth wonder. Verse 47, having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The vast majority of Fox Chapel is bound for hell. That's what's going to happen. And you have the keys to everlasting life. And people in this book of Acts were loosed from the bonds of hell and freed for eternal life because of the fact that there was a church in that town. And our church yesterday, we spend so much time and so much effort worrying about how to get more people to attend. You know, what do we need to do? Should we put balloons up? You know, should we take out an advert in the paper? Let's, let's do a mail shot. Let's do all this stuff. We all this time and all this energy, like, oh, what do we need to do to make people go, oh, please come, you know, all this kind of stuff. But ultimately, as our favorite preacher, Simon Ponsonby, says, you don't need to advertise a fire. They're going to see it. And they took these four basic things that we know so well, and they simply became devoted to them. And God did these four miraculous signs with that church. Which leads me to the point of what this series is all about, and that is that we think, as Ben said at the beginning of this service, we, the vestry and the staff team, we think that God might be about to do it all again. He's going to do it again. And uh, last summer, oh, it's been awful, hasn't it? The last 18 months have been terrible. But last summer, this strange thing started to happen. And that is, in some way, our church became more informal than it has ever been before. You just can't be sort of stiff, formal church, proper, drinking from a plastic cup in a parking lot or meeting on Zoom with the cat coming across the the keyboard, or um, sitting on a fold-out chair with a bird, and you think, oh, what's going to happen any minute as it flies over my head? You you can't be sort of stiff church. And yet, on on another level, as well as having become considerably more informal, I think our church also became more serious. It was very tough to be here. It was difficult to watch online, especially if you have kids or a cat. And uh, either way, you had to be very deliberate in your faith if you were going to be a member of this church last year. Or to use that biblical word, you had to be devoted. And what we've observed, staff and vestry, we've observed happening in the life of our church is that there has been an intensification of our faith in this time. There's been a growth of the core. Very, 
very predictable. Who will be in church on any given day now? The core of people who has plugged in, in person and online, has got stronger and hungrier. I know that you're hungry to engage more deeply with what church is all about. Then about six months ago, something else started to occur, and that was we started to see a flow of new people coming in. Every week there were these new people in our church, and uh, there were, there were occasional services where there were more new people than old people, and that was quite surprising too. And then a, a month ago, something else started to occur, and that is we started to see people return that we hadn't seen for a long time, people who'd been isolated, and they weren't confused or weirded out by what was going on because they'd been plugged in online the whole time. <coughs> and so... They were hungry. And then at the same time, far, far more difficult to assess has been the dissipation of those on the edge, the sort of outer fringes of the congregation who believe that membership is a letter in a cupboard or a picture in a directory and nothing else. And by the way, you don't find those things in the book of Acts. It doesn't say they devoted themselves to a letter in a cupboard. They just disappeared and I can't find them. They don't answer the phone. I don't know if they want to know. And it's very difficult as a pastor to know where those people stand. It's very easy to fear where they stand, but it's not easy to know. And so I think a moment has arrived right now as we open up. And uh, I want to say that if you've been here for a while and you are hungry for more and you're like, why doesn't our church do... <laughs> it's coming. And if you're brand new and you're wondering if you belong... Or, or you're back and you're thrilled to be here, or even if you've slipped away and you're thinking, you know, how do I come back to that thing in these dark times? And you're not sure how to find your way back. It is time, isn't it, for the grace that you receive with each restart. Let's pray for that. Lord God, we just thank you for restarts. We thank you that that is effectively what the gospel is all about, restart after restart. And Lord, as we just reflect on these four very basic, simple, ordinary things that your church did and, and their devotion to them, I thank you for the miracles that you did in their midst. Lord God, I thank you for the miracle of grace and healing. I thank you for the miracle of restoration and renewal and the miracle of hope. And I pray, Lord God, that uh, you would unlock our generosity, that you would make us a byword in this town for grace. I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, bring more new people in who see, who perceive what is going on in this place. And God, that this place would not be a room, but a people uh, whose own homes are, are open. And therefore, that there would be 150 churches around the Fox Chapel area because of this, this uh, body that meets here. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>